welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, El Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 17. That's right. Here we go. Scroll of Shemoth, chapter 17. Oh, wait. Should we say something about the fact that we didn't have an episode last week? We should. Okay. Okay, so last week we didn't have an episode because George is traveling and then I went to pick him up from the airport and his flight got diverted. It did. And so we had an extra day of traveling, going and picking up from a different city so we didn't get to record. So sorry to everybody who is listening up to speed. And if you're not up to speed, don't worry about it. Everything's gravy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, as we were saying, deepest apologies. Uh, scroll of Shemot, chapter 17. All the witnesses of the sons of Israel pulled up their tent pegs from the desert of Sin for their journeys. Upon the mouth of Yahweh, they camped in the Rifdim support beams. There was no water to drink for the people. The people grappled with Moshe. They said, give us water. We will drink. Moshe said to them, why do you grapple with me? Why do you try Yahweh? The people thirsted for water there. The people lodged over Moshe. He said, for what? Why have you made us ascend from Mitzrayim to cause our death and our children and our purchase things in thirst? Moshe howled to Yahweh saying, what will I do for this people again? They will stone me a little. Yahweh said to Moshe, cross over before the face of the people. Take with you from the elders of Yisrael your branch, with which you struck the yor. Take it in your hand. Walk. Here I am. I am standing there before your face. Upon the rock in Chorev, parched. You will strike in the rock. Water will depart from it. The people will drink. Moshe did so in the eyes of the elders of Yisrael. He called the name of the place Masa, place of testing, and Mriva, grappling, upon the grappling of the sons of Yisrael, because they tried Yahweh, saying, Do we have Yahweh in our midst, or do we not? Amalek came. They battled with Yisrael in Rephdim. Moshe said to Yehoshua, Choose men for us. Depart. Battle in Amalek tomorrow. I am stationing myself upon the head of the hill, and the branch of the Elohim is in my hand. Yehoshua did as Moshe said to him. He battled in Amalek. Moshe, Aaron, and Chur ascended the head of the hill. It was when Moshe raised his hand, Israel prevailed. When he rested his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moshe's hands heavied. They took a stone. They placed it underneath him. He sat upon her. Aaron and Chur supported his hands from this one and from this one. His hands were faithful until the coming of the sun. Yehoshua weakened Amalek and his people with the mouth of the parched sword. Yahweh said to Moshe, write this memory in the book. Place it in the ears of Yehoshua. Smoothing, I will smooth out the memory of Amalek from under the fire water. Moshe built a place of slaughter. He called its name, Yahweh is my raised gleaming rally point. He said, because a hand upon the seat, Yah of battle for Yahweh with Amalek from era to era. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew. All right. Good story. It is. We have two sections today. You can probably guess how I'm going to divide this up. Water and then battle. <clears throat> water and the battle. So part one is going to be one through seven. That's our water portion. 
The second portion is 8 through 16. That is the Amalek story. And let's go ahead and dive right in. Great. So in part one, starting off in verse one, all the witnesses of the sons of Israel pulled up their tent pegs from the desert of Sin for their journeys upon the mouth of Yahweh. They camped in Rephidim. So uh, one of the observations I wanted to make here from reading the sages is the Rambam points out this word journeys, plural, mm-hmm. um, and notes that it's not just a single journey that they took from Sin to Rephidim. Mm. It's multiple journeys. Mm. And what he says to kind of explain that concept is that uh, there were many grumblings against Moshe. Sure. Right? Almost like a stutter stop of a journey. They went to these different places, didn't have water. Mm. Uh, And we'll see this uh, kind of reflected in the way that uh, some of the translations go about this. ESV says by stages. Okay. They went by stages to Rephidim. Uh-huh. Uh, NIV says traveling from place to place. Okay. Um, but it conveys the sense that it's not just they went from A to B and we're like, oh, no water. But there's a time passage that happens here where they're traveling and traveling and traveling and uh-huh. continually not finding a source of water okay. for themselves. I would have gone with... Even though they're all on the same journey, they all have different perceptions. And so the individual within the communal experience that they're all on their separate journey, even though they're all on the same journey. But either way works for me. <laughs> Very deep of you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> do we only do fluffy popcorn material here on uh, <laughs> We don't. Us? We don't. Nothing spiritual. Only facts. Okay, um, speaking of things that aren't, you know, easy to parse facts, um, again, the original text does not have punctuation marks in it. Mm. And so there's some ambiguity in this section. It says, from the desert of Sin for their journeys upon the mouth of Yahweh, they camped in the Rephidim. Uh, and so there's this very interesting question to me about, is it from the desert upon the mouth of Yahweh or are they camping on the mouth of Yahweh? Um, And the traditional way that's interpreted is totally fair, totally fine. Um, They might go with uh, according to the word of Yahweh. Right. My problem with that is it doesn't say that, (laughs) which is the usual problem for me. Um, Nothing surprising there, but like it will say K, which is as, and then Dvar, which is spoke, and then Adonai. So I don't know why they wouldn't say what they always say. Interesting. I don't know what it means to camp on God's mouth. Um, um, but I like it on a spiritual level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's a lot that you could ponder there. Yeah. Are you? Um, have you made your camp, right? Not by the compost heap we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, of like all the complaints and criticisms. Have you made camp? by where the voice of God comes from. Right. Do you rest upon every word that comes from the mouth of, the God. Mouth of God? Indeed. That is the question. That is the question. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, combining, like you just said, the desert being the place of speaking, right? You're upon the mouth of Yahweh. Right. So an intentional, interesting. I like it. Uh, yeah, I like it too. I, you know, uh, yeah, you've changed my mind. 
I like Ha-ha. it. Yep. I would have gone with the, you know, kind of as God has told us this, so this right. is what we're doing, right? Oh, how the turntables. Right. No, but I like I like what you are peddling. Peddling. <laughs> yeah. It's a good I price. Am, I am a conjurer of cheap tricks. Okay, uh, so the people grapple with Moshe. They say, give us water. We will drink, which I think is funny. It's not we want to drink. <laughs> it's like you're the problem here. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. would be drinking if it wasn't for you is right. kind of the implication. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the Midrash even says that they tell him that our blood is on you. You've right. caused this scenario, right? So it is exactly, yeah. Right. Right, and they're going to go further on that um, in just a sec. Um, Moshe instantly connects everything to God, which, relatable, like if I'm thinking about being Moshe, being like, look, this wasn't my idea. None of this was my idea. I wish I was still herding sheep on the backside of the desert as I was, uh, you know, just a couple chapters ago, which I totally get. Um, But it is interesting to see how leadership works in this really early um, formation of the people of God, right? Yeah. And certainly it can be really destructive when leaders today are like, I'm the pastor. Why are you trying God by answering me questions about my, you know, embezzlement or whatever? So that's a little uncomfortable, but I think um, maybe just to me, and that's fine. But um, he definitely makes that deference immediately like you're messing with me well guess what you're actually messing with god yeah god doesn't show up and immediately strike everybody with leprosy here though whereas later he will in the book of numbers so yeah even ezra says that there are two groups in here there's one that's there's one group that is just grumbling against moshe saying we don't have water you need to give us water um and there's another group which does have water, which is the water that they brought with them. Ooh, and not sharing. Tisk tisk. They are not sharing, and they are intentionally testing God to see if he would give them water still. Oh. Um, the Care Bears approach. Yes. It's all about sharing, and right. sharing is caring. You know what, though? I, I still like that interpretation. Like, I don't necessarily see it in here, but... Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, he says, why are you testing him? So who knows? The people thirsted for water there. They lodged over Moshe. For what? He said. <laughs> right. <love> <laughs> what is the point? Yeah. Well, and maybe that's part of what they're looking at. Like, why are you grumbling about me? You have water. Right. Right. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Why have you made us ascend from its time to cause our death and our children and purchase things in thirst? Um, by the way, there is a grammatical way in the Hebrew to say to cause the death of us and our children and our purchase things. Uh, but it doesn't say that it says to cause our death and then it tacks on all the other ones after it. So it's almost like they, what they're really worried about is themselves. And then they add on all this other stuff. Like somebody's like, don't forget the kids, like include the and our children. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, and. Rambam would agree with you that they're using the children as a tool, right, Ugh. against Moshe to say that our, our children are going to die in front of us, etc. And then also they're using the, the purchased things, which is often translated as cattle, to express how much water they need. We need a lot right. of water. We don't just need a little bit of water. We need a lot of water. Right. We want abundance of water, please. Right. Not even a please, but yeah. Great. 
Yep. Um, I've talked before about why eliding purchase things to um, when the animals is a suspect, but you don't have to go into that here. Right. I guess it's been a while, but, but still, it doesn't say that. There's lots of words for cattle, and it's not that one. Um, why this, do people obscure that? Maybe like slaves are included in purchase things. Maybe it's the text bringing out like the follies of consumption. I don't know. Hmm. But um, anyway, then <laughs> I love what Moshe says to God. Yes. It cracks me up. What will I do for this people? Again, they will stone me a little. Right. <laughs> it's not they'll stone me for a little thing. It's they'll stone me a little. <laughs> yeah. No, that was odd. I was I was curious about that, you know, because it's not what we're generally going to see, but obviously that seems to be what it's saying. And I don't know what that means. Like, was there a practice of like only stoning somebody a little bit? I don't know. I mean... Hey, Moshe, this is just going to be a light stoning. Just wanted to let you know beforehand. Right, right. You'll be fine. Um, here's, I just want to hurt you a little. Yeah, here's another possibility. So the hallmarks of biblical poetry is they drop out all the articles, right? Um, and other grammatical components. Like I've said before, it reads kind of like high schooler um, poetry in English mm-hmm. where you're like, rain down, face wet. Um, and so it could be that. It could be, they will stone me a little. So it could be like in a little bit, but he didn't say it that way. Yeah. So, um, that's I- not quite wrong to say that. It's just a possibility in my uh deference is always towards just what it literally says right well i and i love god's response to this in verse five which is not to tell moshe to go talk to the people Mm. it's not an immediate solving of the issue of i'm just going to rain water from the sky right like i did with the bread but moshe says what i'm going to do uh they're going to stone me and god Mm -hmm. says okay Go walk in front of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Parade yourself before them. Don't say anything. Don't tell them what you're going to do. Right. Walk in front of them and take some elders. Right. Take your staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then walk all the way over to Horev. Yeah. Yeah. And he's standing with him. I love that too. Thanks for bringing that out because uh, it could have been... Yeah, you're right. And then he like explodes 2,000 people. Yeah. You know, it could have been that. It could have been, hey, Moshe, get over yourself. They're not actually going to stone you. You're fine. God doesn't do that either. It's through an experience and through giving the command toward an experience that God teaches Moshe all the lessons that he needs, which are of self-efficacy, right? You'll you'll be okay. Deep breaths. They're not actually going to murder you. Um, and also please step into your power and authority, right? Because we have that take that branch thing, um, which is one of our themes for Moshe over and over. God's yeah. trying to get him to take take up his branch. Right. And very Jesus-y, I will be with you to the end of the age vibes. I am standing there before your face, right? Right. Um, there's an interesting note by Rashi, which I really love about in verse five, when he says to take with you, uh, from the elders of Israel, your branch with which you struck the yore, take it in your hand. Mm-hmm. And Rashi comments and says, why do we need to mention that it's this specific branch that he used to strike the yore uh-huh. with? Yeah. Um, you know, isn't that 
redundant. Yeah, it's yeah, it's redundant language. We don't need to mention it. We already know that that's the staff. So why is he saying it here? Uh, and he says it's because the Israelites at this point only recognize the staff as a tool of punishment. Mm. Um, so take the staff that you had with you that was used to rescue the people of Israel, mm-hmm. right? But which they still saw as, you know, potentially something used. Stick. Yeah, something used to punish the Egyptians. Yep. Take it with you uh, to use to get water so that they can see that the staff that God uses is for redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Just that drawing that comparison between the two uses, right? And that the tool is not, you can use this tool for destruction or you can use it for restoration. Right. That's good. Same tool. Uh, I like that. I also like, by the way, he's striking in the rock and the rock is called parched. So he's like, don't take it out on the people. Take it out on the parchedness. Hmm. Uh, It reminds me of Ephesians 6. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but against colon big long list yeah of spiritual things um and framing it that way is helpful to escape the dualistic dichotomy of being frustrated at humans right it's not go out and strike the people because they're complaining right um it's go out and strike the root of the problem which is not their discontent right necessarily they do need water they're not incorrect Strike the parchedness. Um, you can also translate cherev, as we've talked about multiple times before, as sword. So if you want to do a little, you know, peace, love, and good vibes thing, right? Um, you can be like, strike the sword. Yeah. That doesn't quite hold up because they're about to use swords to murder people in the next section. So you can yeah. be like a kumbaya too much there. The but. sages talk about that to point out that it's not that there was actually water in the rock. Right. It's not like, you know, they say this, not that there was a well of water that Moshe then went and dug here. Yeah. Right. It is a miraculous creation of water. Right. That then flows out from the rock. Right. Um, The rock itself was dry. There was no water there. Right. It's called parched. Yeah. I mean, I've seen little springs and little things of water coming out of rocks before. Um, and from what I've seen, and this could be totally different, it's a trickle. I cannot imagine all of these people and all of their livestock, uh, you know, how much time that would take to water everybody. You'd have to start over at the beginning as soon as you're done. So maybe it's a old faithful flaming geyser type situation. I don't know. What they say is that, they say two things. One, they say, note that the people do not go with Moshe to the rock. Uh-huh. They are at their camp in Rephidim. Moshe goes to Chorev. With the elders. With the elders. And they say that this is Mount Chorev. Right. Right? So it's a good ways off. Yep. And that when he strikes the rock, a river comes out of it and flows all the way through the desert to the people. Oh, wow. And so they don't come to a spring and get water from a spring. They get water because it literally flows all the way and just runs right by their camp. Oh, wow. Uh, and they go and get water from there. Huh. Uh, and they say, right, so they take this wording of water will depart from it, the people will drink. Not water will depart from it, the people are going to come and get water and take it back. 
Yeah. Right. Um, Interesting. I mean, I like it. Later, we're going to have a floating well that follows them, the well of Miriam. Um, yeah. So we've got all sorts of fun yeah. water sources. Um, yes. The other thing they mention in verse 6 is, is the unusual phrasing of you will strike in the rock, which you have correctly here in your translation, I would like to note. Uh, but how weird that is. It's not you're going to strike the rock. You will strike in the rock. And so uh-huh. what does that mean? What is that trying to communicate? Yeah. Um, He's got to cleave the boulder in half with right, his stick. With his staff. Yeah. And Rashi kind of goes with that interpretation and says, uh, well, his his staff must be composed of a really hard metal or something because how else are you going to strike into a rock? Yeah, it's actually vibranium. Well, they s- <laughs> he says it's a sapphire staff, Ooh, which is I pretty like magical. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, that's like very Sailor Moon. I love that for Moshe. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, it would be something else to have a, a staff made entirely out of sapphire. So the person who was into crystals first was Moshe. Right, yeah, just the <laughs> vibrations from his Not staff. Not white women on Instagram. Right. Heard it here yes. first. Yes, yep. Okay, great. Fantastic. I love that. Um, okay, so he does this stuff. He calls it place of testing and grappling, uh, which I think it's funny that it gets two names because they tried Yahweh saying, do we have Yahweh in our midst or do we not? Right. If which that is why... isn't the eternal question of all the ages, by the way, like pastorally, I yeah. don't know what else is. Yeah, which is part of why they question, is it really because they didn't have water or is it because of this where they just questioning is God actually here with us? Yeah. Um, which is interesting to think about, you know, and it's kind of, I think true in our own lives sometimes, right. Where we're just trying to figure out, is God even here? Yeah. You know, like we do, we do the same thing all the time. Usually doesn't involve, you know, starving our kids, but right. Or stoning our pastors. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's always time for a new trend. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, part two. Part two, starting in verse eight. Oh, boy. All right. So Amalek comes. Yes, I will not be able to say that the way you did. You know, it is tricky business, including for me. So uh, humility all around. They battle. I like that as just introduced that way. It's not like we don't have further details. If we were in my uh, undergrad military history course, like this summary mm-hmm. would fail. Right. <laughs> they battled. Um, Moshe says to Yehoshua, which is our first appearance of our guy. I know. I was like, boy, I, we've got to have heard him before somewhere. No. Nope. And I went and looked and we hadn't. Here he is. First time we see Joshua. Yes. Chapter 17. And I'm just remember realizing that I didn't uh, translate his name there because I was just excited about the character. I'm like, oh, there he is. Uh, uh, but rescuer. Yes. Um, yeah. Which totally fits here. Yeah. Um, so he's a military commander, which is interesting, you know, that we're going to have this back and forth in leadership between um, a priestly class, you know, uh, which is Moshe and Ahro and then Miriam. And then we're going to flip-flop to a military um, guy uh, and then have the judges who are totally random. But um, it reminds me of Ezra and Nehemiah 
with um we've got a scribey guy and then we've got a beard ripper um but anyway yeah. that's way ahead <laughs> that's right age of, that's years off right uh so choose men for us depart battle there tomorrow i am stationing myself upon the head of a hill ding 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 anytime we have head that's a leadership um language so we have this mm. recurring motif um, the branch of the Elohim is in my hand. Yes. So a couple of things I want to look at before we get too far. Uh, the first is, who is Amalek and where did he come from? And Why is he, he here? Go? Why is, well, yeah. Where did he go afterwards? Right? Because he doesn't die. doesn't yep. say they kill him. Uh, but, uh, you know, why does this people come here now? Right. Um, out of nowhere. I need to know whether you uh, intentionally ignored my Cotton Eye Joe reference or whether it was just so smoothly done by me that you missed it that time. I just ignored it. Okay, cool. Yep. (laughs) That's where we're at. Okay, fine. Um, Amalek is from Esau. Esav. Um, We saw him back in Genesis 36. Um, one of the rando wives of Esav says uh, that she bore him to um, Eliphaz, I believe. Right. Yes. And then it also says that he becomes um, a leader, a chief, right, is the traditional uh, translation there. Yeah. And so it's the descendants, right, because it's been 600 years if we take that uh, dating um, literally in the text. So it's been a lot of generations. So this would be the son. Um, and his name has to do with um, working, um, working, gaining possessions, um, working hard. Strong uh, says to work severely and with irksomeness. Let's bring back the word irksome. Um, and so there's a thing here, right? I, I'm i team both and. I'm team it happened and you can take the spiritual okay. depth. Yeah. Um, but I would say the spiritual resonance there is God arranges um, this battle because they're still in a worldview of scarcity. We just came out of Mitzrayim. We are uh, slaves really recently, right? And so one by one, God is pulling the weeds out of these people's hearts, right? Just like he does with all of us. Um, And so one of the weeds he has to pull is like, I'm just going to work really hard and that's how I'm going to get what I need, Um, which is our whole culture, right? But so the last test was like, can you get water by asking? Hmm. Right? There's no point in that story where they're like, let's pray. God's good. He'll give us water. Right. Everybody pray. Here we go. Lord, you delivered us. You're a rescuer. You're great and abundant in love and right. slow to anger. Might we have water to sustain our lives and that of our children and our livestock, right? They don't do that. They just start screaming. Um, and especially with your midrash in mind, that might have happened because they're trying to play out this extraction from God, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, if we make enough of a huff, we'll get what we need. Right. And so that's followed up by this battle with this people group who represents, I'm just going to work hard enough with enough irksomeness, right? If I'm exhausted enough and irritated enough and worn down enough, then I'll finally deserve um, goodness from God, right? Yeah. Um, That's a super common posture um, for many of us in at least American culture, that you're only really successful if you're irked and exhausted, 
Um, otherwise, you should be working harder, right? Um, and so God says, great, let's, uh, let's put that to death, literally, in this, in this fight we're going to have. Yeah. Um, and so Moshe has to take up his authority to do so upon the head of the hill with a branch of the Elohim. Right. Shout out to sketchiness there in my hand. Yeah. Um, Rashi has an interesting theory on Amalek. Okay. And I, it's one I haven't heard before, so I, I'm still kind of mulling it over. Okay. But he poses that Amalek is here because Amalek has been waiting the descendants of Asaph had been waiting okay. for the time in captivity in Egypt to be over. And even posits that Asaph left originally and gave oh. up his claim because he knew that the promise comes after the time in captivity. Okay, I'm making a skeptical face because... Uh, Have you heard this one before? I haven't. Okay. <laughs> But here's why I'm skeptical, and it's hard for me to listen to the content, um, and so I will try to lay my defenses down and do so. But it's hard for me because anytime we have villainous characters show up in the text, there's always like this massive weight of bias and like backup um, backstory to try to prove how evil they are, and they're almost always Gentiles, right? I mean, they are always Gentiles. Um, it's like, actually, they weren't, the protagonists weren't really being that bad. And actually, the villains were being eight times worse than they're presented. So, like, maybe, maybe they knew that. I don't know how Asav would have heard the story of the prophecy slash, you know, foretelling that um, God gave Abraham. Maybe that was passed down through the family that they were going to go into captivity for a really long time. Feels unlikely since they all went down there for the famine. Um, but maybe, but to me that automatically falls into the cardboard box of like, you know, those bad guys, they're even worse than you could have ever imagined that thing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> nevertheless, what he says that is Emelik is here because the time of punishment is over. The only thing left is the promise. And so he's come to claim it. Gotcha. As a descendant of the true before, Abraham, bum, as, bum, yes. Yep, yes, we've talked about that. So it's just an interesting theory. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, okay, we have Moshe and Aaron and Hur. Hur comes out of nowhere. Um, ascend the head of the hill. Uh, it was when Moshe raised his hand, Yisrael prevailed. Okay, this word that uh, I translated here, prevailed, is the word that we have from boop, 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 da, 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 uh, Noah story, when the waters um, prevailed over the mountains. And back then we talked about this kind of dualistic lens um, and how God had like awoken the kraken, basically, who yeah. comes up um, and conquers the mountains, which are usually symbolic of gods, right? Um, and it being this big thing. So here we have, in my opinion, um, a motif from that era to bring this dualistic flavor, this good versus evil kind of tone to the scene. Um, and it says, when he rested his hand, Amalek prevailed, um, which I also like, by the way, because um, 
sometimes we get into this like rest, rest, rest. We love our rest. We need to rest because of Shabbat, which is true. Uh And sometimes we forget that it's a whole lot easier to rest on Shabbat if you're doing your work your other six days, right? (laughs) Like sometimes people are like, oh, I can't Shabbat because, you know, I have this to do and I have this to do and I have this to do. But they're not doing that during the rest of the week. So here we have that equality of you've got to raise your hand um, sometimes. And when you rest, sometimes it's not good. Yeah. There's a really cool uh, thing that the sages say that uh, they point out like the the communal aspect of worship and prayer and things like that. Okay. Uh, and they apply that here the, to this story, saying that it's not just Moshe raising his hands, but he's leading all of the people who are not in battle. Uh-huh. They're all doing this. So he's on top of the hill, but they're all down at the bottom and around the hill, all in the same posture, uh-huh. raising their hands. And I like that a lot in that it's not just Moshe, right? The people have come and are partnering with Moshe in this. Yeah in this task are they going to say okay so anybody who's not out on the battlefield yes okay yeah so a place for women at the table yes so they're all participating in the victory right i like it um and then also Hur is a new person Uh uh-huh uh who hasn't been mentioned before and uh, I thought that was interesting because, you know, Moshe, Aharon, and Hur ascended the head of the hill. Like, why do they just stick this random person here with no explanation, right? You know, we've seen uh, Moshe and Aharon doing things before, but there hasn't been a third person in... In the mix. In the mix. We got Yehoshua, we got Hur. Yes. Um, okay, I thought that we had talked about this in a different spot, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, oh, I know where we've seen him before. Not actually, but, um, so the word chur is a carved word. Um, mm, it can be Like used Genesis carved, mm, God carved? Specifically the, it's a onomatopoeia. Chur, chur, chur. Okay. Um, and it's the word used for pehachirot. Um, it's that same root when we were talking about the system of caves mm. behind God's people uh-huh. by the right, sea. Right, by the sea, yeah. Yep. Um, and so if I'm thinking about like, well, why would, other than like being a human, why would he appear here? Um, and like, is holes. And before it was this image of like a place that you could escape. So mm. maybe he's like an image of like rescue or an image of safety and that's why he's looped in here or maybe it's just because he needed one dude for each hand (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah there was some midrash in there about like it's just joshua's off fighting the battle and they need an extra guy he's really buff but not enough to go fight he's really tall and so good for resting your hands on i have no idea right rashi says that hur is the son of miriam oh um, oh, so right, trying to it should be her, sure. Right, Michelle. it should be her. Yeah, so bringing in, you know, a, a familial connection. Yeah, I like into that. Into the story. Three-pointer for uh, Rashi. Yeah, and I don't know that there's any other textual, you know, Links. information that you could use to create that. But mm-hmm. that's at least, seems to be the uh, prominent uh, rabbinic tradition. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll find out as we keep going in the text. Um, eventually, <laughs> we'll have finished this section. And no, um, not this section, the whole, you know, book. Yeah. So I love this next portion. Moshe's hands heavied, which, by the way, I misspelled his name because I was typing too fast. And I did it earlier, too. And I'd like a medal because I had actually typed Mosher. <laughs> Mosher. <laughs> And I just think that's funny. Okay, so Moshe's hands heavied. They took a stone. What you're totally expecting, or at least I'm totally expecting, oh, his hands have gotten heavy. They're going to find, like, a big boulder. Um, if it says they took a sp- stone, and he's yeah. going to rest his hands on the stone. But instead, he sits on it, and then community comes in and supports him. You know? Yeah. It's like a little bait and switch where you're like, oh, they found a... They found something to do. Nope. It's just to sit. Uh, and then Ahron and Khur support. Well, not even like a pillow. You know, yeah. here's a rock. Well, they didn't have a lot of pillows. I don't know. Maybe they did. They just plundered Egypt. Okay. I I would have to do um, some Googling about Bronze Age pillows. Yes. Do, did the <laughs> do Egyptians that. have plush Ottomans? Yes. Uh, Ottomans is a different empire that comes much later. So, okay. Back to the text. Aharon and Chur supported his hands. This is the word for a different rock. Bum, bum, bum. I'm pretty excited about this connection. Really? Yes. This is the word that we've seen in Bereshit, in Genesis, with Yaakov. When does Yaakov get a rock to support him? Uh, when he has the vision of the ladder. Excellent. Indeed. And what's he doing when he runs away? Uh, I failed. <laughs> What's he doing when he I'm does like, that? He's, he's running away when he runs away. Fleeing. He's running away from whom? Yes. Uh, he's running away from Asaph. He's running away from Asaph. Oh, we have Asaph coming back we, with the descendant. Yeah, we have the descendant of Asaph and we have the descendant of Yaakov. And once oh. again, at a pivotal point in the story, when all seems lost, the rock is coming in clutch. There's a rock, but the real rock is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the real rock is Dwayne. not the one that he's. <laughs> I will call you Dwayne. You are taking the Mickey out of this DJ. I mean, he was the Scorpion King. <laughs> are you done? We may never know. Okay. The real rock is not the one that you're sitting on that you anoint that is a portal to heaven, right? Because that's what he does. He anoints the rock and says, surely God is in this place. I Mm. will call it Bethel because it's the house of God. And here there are angels going up and down. Um, Instead, they again, this bait and switch takes on a way bigger dimension because the real portal to heaven, the way that we experience the angels going up and down, is through community. That's what I was going to say, community. Right, because it's Aaron and Chur um, rather than the rock. So That's great. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank goodness I got to actually say the teaching. Where would we be? (laughs) Where would we be? And... You know, bringing in the faithfulness aspect, right, that Yaakov does not have. I'd like your hands to be faithful to the coming of the sun. You can edit that out. <laughs> Here comes the sun. Um, so Aharon and Hur supported his hands from this one and from this one, in case you didn't know. Yep. Uh, his hands were faithful 
got some faithful hands until the coming of the sun. Yep. Now, this was interesting uh, in the Midrash. Okay. Because in the Midrash, they say that the Amalekites were uh, witches and sorcerers. Oh, but gosh. Employing magic, right? They didn't have swords. There's no mention of weapons. There's no mention of anybody dying. I mean, there's not mention of feet either, so are we presuming they're ghosts? Well, but it doesn't say that the Israelites killed the Amalekites. It just says that they weakened them. We'll see that in the next verse, in verse 13. Oh, and, and so the Midrash says it's, it's because nobody here is using weapons. Uh, you surprise, it's the undead. Surprise, it's the undead. <laughs> and so wow. his hand, no. <laughs> but the Amalekites are employing magic. Mm-hmm. And they have received a, uh, they've used astrology to determine the time for their battle and when they would prove victorious based on the position of the sun. Wow. Well, even Ezra wrote like 12 books on astrology. So I guess he's the real Amalekite. There we go. And so Moshe holds back the movement of the sun to change the astrology through the raising of his hands. Oh, good gracious. And so that is the battle that is going on. Wow. Well, I'd pay to see that movie. A regular fight? No, thank you. A battle of the undead where Moshe is changing uh, the course of the cosmos? Yeah. Sign me up. Yep. You know, (laughs) it would just be like a really long Dragon Ball Z episode (laughs) of them charging up their power. (laughs) Okay, I have not seen that, but I'll take your word for it. You can take my word maybe, for it. Okay. Maybe Moshe is really just blinding them with this giant sapphire stick. Um, and that's why he has to hold it up in the air so that it'll catch the angle of the light properly. Yeah. Uh, yep. Okay, so Yehoshua weakened Amalek and his people with the mouth of the parched sword. Yahweh said to Moshe, write this memory in the book. Place it in the ears of Yehoshua. Okay, this is super interesting to me because it's not place it in the ears of Yisrael, right? We've had this back and forth yes. between God's people. Boy, you and, and Rambam are tracking today. You know, when you got a boss name like Ram Rashbam. Rambam. 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 Ooh, yeah. I thought was, mm, usually it's Rashbam. Rashbam okay. was silent this chapter. Wow, at least, sad. At least he was silent in that he wasn't in English. <laughs> he wasn't in English. He took the day off. It's done with this. Okay, um... Yeah, it's not placed in the ears of Yisrael, with whom this whole narrative has been tracking back and forth. It's the ears of Yehoshua. So I just, you know, have the lens so often to remind myself, communal, 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 communal. It's not individual. And yet here we have God having something specifically happening. And I mean, God can do lots of things on lots of different levels. But one of the things he's doing is just for this future leader, to be like, hey, uh, I want you to remember this day. And also, here's the promise that I will smooth out the memory of Amalek mm-hmm. from under the fire water, under the heaven. Yeah. Z- uh, Avraham Ibn Ezra makes a, mm-hmm. an interesting comment that is, again, kind of more on the mystical side of things, going back to the, the magic, magic the gathering. <laughs> uh, we're all over the map. We're all over the map. Uh, and says that this book that is mentioned here, right? Because as far as chronology goes, there's no book. Okay. Right. And they're referencing a literally, a literal, write this memory in the book, not write a book 
right. of this thing. Where's my Indiana Jones yes. uh, movie about this thing? So he says that this is a known book. It's called uh, The Book of the Wars of the Eternal, which, fascinating. Yeah. I have no further information. Maybe. Do with that what you will. I wonder if it's like The Book of the Watchers, because that has, um, which is within The Book of Enoch. It sounds mm. similar, but that could just be because it sounds wacky to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, other, you know, other tradition just says that this is the book of the law, you know, oh. the books of Moses. Okay. Right. That's kind of the more traditional. Right. Yeah. Well, Ibn Ezra was a poet, um, you know, so he's looking for the poetic and things. So we'll hire him to write the next Indiana Jones movie featuring a 105 year old Harrison Ford. Right. Yes. But place it, like you said, place it in the ears of Yehoshua. Yeah. Right. Um, one of the things that they say is that Moshe gives Yehoshua a new name here. And that this is the first time we see Yehoshua mentioned. Previous to this, this is Hoshea, the son of Nun. Okay. Because it's going to say Yehoshua, the son of Nun. Um, I'm not sure where they pull that from. Um I mean, I know that he is the son of Nun. Yeah, but I, I think it's just that Moshe is alluding to what's going to happen in when they get to the promised land and the spies go in, right? And Hosea, the son of Nun, is one of the spies. And he's, they're saying that that's Joshua. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. He's just given this name in this time because of the task that he has been given in leading the people of Israel in battle. Huh. Uh yeah, Hoshua, that yeah prefix is future third person masculine. Um, and so it's he will rescue. Um, and so changing it to that is interesting. Like, is that talking about God? Is that talking about him? Rather than Hoshua is more of a like being rescued type thing. Um, curious and curiouser. Again, yeah. we'll have to get to the spies for me to be able to yeah. Uh, yeah. have an opinion. Yep. Not that that's the most important thing, but whatever. Uh, okay, Moshe built a place of slaughter. He called its name Yahweh is my race gleaming rally point. So that's a really long um, translation. But It is. But, uh, you know, we do what we can. So what I read about this is that, you know, in our medieval terms, um, we would go with, you know, banner because that speaks to our archetypal reality of a rallying point. Right. But this could like be a big rock that was shiny, hmm. basically. Or a staff that happened to be a made out of sapphires. sapphire staff, uh -huh. indeed. Uh -huh. And the idea was that you plunk it into the ground on the top of a rock on oh, a... You strike in the rock? <laughs> head it's of all, a hill. It, it's all coming together. Uh, yeah. Okay, crunk. Um, so, that, so that when you're rallying your troops, you can tell them go over there by the big shiny thing. So yeah, indeed, a staff air stick would work great. A staff in the rock. <laughs> a sapphire staff. Staff yeah. made out of sapphires. Yeah, a rock stick. Okay. Perfect. He said, because a hand upon the seat. This was a really weird thing. Um, yaw of battle. I don't know why it's just yaw. I don't know what happened to the way. Mm, I do. Oh, well, good. Great. Tell me. It is because God has not yet finished dealing with the Amalekites. So it's just an in-breath without the out-breath. And so it's just, uh, yeah. And so uh, the... Uh, rabbis say that 
he goes by Yah until the Amalekites are eventually destroyed by Yehoshua in the land of Israel. Huh. Okay. Uh, it might even be later. It might even be like Solomon. I don't remember. Um, but they remark that that is an intentional change that happens. And I don't know how consistent that is through the text, but that's what they say. Fascinating. Um, I mean, not super explanatory to me. That's not a word. But, uh, you know, I could be wrong. I often am. Um, for Yahweh with Amalek from era to era. Um, I like that, that like a God is before you always while you're walking, you know, to go whack the rock. Um, and also God is with your enemies. That's all you got to focus on. Like don't perseverate, don't ruminate on them too much. God's with them. That is, yeah. I mean, the standard interpretation here is that God is going to be battling with them from era to era. Right. But it doesn't but, say that. It just says he's with them, yep. you know? Uh, also puts a different spin on God with us, which makes sense because Gabriel always shows up when it's like big, bad news, scary mm. empires being turned mm-hmm. over. And in our like, you know, uh, Christmas plays, it's always this magical thing. Um, but being like, guess what? God with you isn't always great because God was with the Amalekites. So, yeah. All right. Well, if you have questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, ideas, drawings, uh, I don't know. We take all sorts of stuff we here. We sure do. Send it in. Basically to consignment. <laughs> no. To textinus at gmail.com. This has been the Text in Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 18.